Oh boy, do I have some things to say about some of the things to say today. <laughs> Indeed today, we have things to say. As it always is, and as it always will be. <laughs> Welcome to Under the Bridge, everyone. I'm Cody, a.k.a. the Scarlet Troll. And I am Greg, a.k.a. Greg. Indeed. Let's jump straight into the gaming news. Alrighty. Sony and Microsoft are still going at it about Microsoft buying Activision. Oh, what are mommy and daddy fighting over now? Well... <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's what it feels like at this point, especially with Sony. <laughs> yeah, Sony has outright said that Battlefield cannot compete with Call of Duty. Duh? <laughs> it's like that's that's not news. I don't know why Sony's trying to insinuate the the opposite if that's what's going No, Sony on, is outright saying that Battlefield is no match for Call of Duty and it's bad for them if Microsoft gets Call of Duty exclusively. Oh bitch, please. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. To give a concrete example, Electronic Arts, one of the largest third-party developers after Activision, has tried for many years to produce a rival to Call of Duty with its Battlefield series. Despite the similarities between Call of Duty and Battlefield, and despite EA's track record in developing other successful AAA franchises, such as FIFA, Mass Effect, Need for Speed, and Star Wars Battlefront, the Battlefield franchise cannot keep up. Sony adds that Battlefield's latest entry, The Comparable Miss of 2042, sold just 88.7 million copies, compared to COD's 400 million. <laughs> That's, ugh, that's just, god, that's just harsh to say. From a professionalism standpoint, I don't know what they were trying to do, but they just kind of sound like the jerks in the back of the room saying that. <laughs> right? It's like, ugh, this is just ugly and stupid and I love it. Somebody sell tickets. Yeah. I mean, for me, because I partake in both of those con like series, with the exception of, well, more recent entries in both of those series... I love Battlefield and Call of Duty, and my response to that is, duh? I think at this point EA definitely understands that they can't compete, but for Sony to use that as some kind of token to hold back Microsoft buying Activision to get Call of Duty, it's just like, that's... Okay, so how did you think that was going to go? And I need you to repeat that again slowly to yourself and think about how that sounds. <laughs> how pathetic does that make you sound? Yeah, it's just... To say nothing of the fact that you're throwing EA under the bus. Yeah, that that was a big part of it, too, because it's like, okay, so now you're just shitting on, like, one of your partners as and well. And don't get like, me wrong, shit on EA all you want. They deserve it. Yeah, but... But Sony... From a professionalism standpoint... You don't got any room. <laughs> no. You didn't have to do it to them like that. <laughs> God almighty, that is just... Churlish. <laughs> wow. That's a $5 word that I haven't used in a long time. I gotta steal that. It's so stupid. Churlish. Hmm. Huh. Alright, now it's time for me to have some things to say. Oh, I'm boy. about to go on a I'm about to go on a rant. Alright. Not beer that I'm drinking. It's Coca-Cola, actually. I mean, I have Cherry Pepsi next to me, so that's the best I can do. How dare you? <laughs> Pokemon Scarlet and Violet are the fastest-selling games in the history of Nintendo. Really? Yeah. They sold 10 million copies in three days. Jesus Christ. 
As Nintendo stated, this is the highest number ever for global and domestic sales in the first three days after the release of software for all Nintendo game consoles, including Nintendo Switch. I wonder why that is. What exactly sets the new Pokemon games apart that cr- creates more demand in that regard? False advertising. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they were that like, works. oh, it's a big open world Pokemon game. That's not level scale. So, yeah, I mean, technically you can go wherever you want right off the bat. You're gonna get your shit stomped in if you do, but I mean, you could. Oh, but wait, no you can't. You wanna go in knee-deep water? Sorry, you gotta upgrade your bike first, and that's gonna require dealing with some of the story stuff. So, you can't actually go anywhere at any point, but we've been selling it like it is. Oh, and did I mention it runs like poo? Cause it does. (laughs) you could be in a room and in the back of the room somebody will be moving at five frames per second that's i personally find that hilarious just the mental image of that is funny i understand that that's frustrating to deal with though (laughs) especially because these games i can't get over this enough and this is somebody who's part of the problem because yes i bought the game i bought Mm -hmm. one of them but so yeah feel free to just write this whole thing off as i'm part of the problem because i got it but, I mean... But, these games used to cost $40. Hmm. Now they're up to 60 but then you have to pay $30 extra for the DLC that makes it a complete game, functionally. And, hmm. for what? You can't even say an uptick in graphics and performance anymore, because, yeah, the graphics look better when they run. And people want to turn around and go, Oh, it's the Switch hardware, they just can't handle it. Breath of the Wild was a goddamn launch title. Yeah, for me, that's kind of a hard argument to make. Is like, granted, I don't think there's too much like real comparison, but the fact that these games do actually run some of our, were at the time top of the line PS3 games. I know it's like two jo- console generations apart, but to do that by itself consistently without issue, it's like, no, the system is definitely powerful enough, guys. Oh, I get like, this. Portable. They have local multiplayer and they have co-op multiplayer where you can adventure with people, right? And I did that last night with somebody because you can actually get the other person's version exclusives if you're both running different versions of the same game. Huh. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. What? How does how does that work? So, <laughs> say I have Scarlet and the other person has Violet. Okay. And we go in an area that has specific area encounters, like you can find certain Pokemon, these Pokemon in Scarlet, you can find these Pokemon in Violet. Mm. If we're adventuring together through online multiplayer and we're in the same general area as each other, and by general area I mean pretty close proximity, I guess, Mm -hmm. we can encounter each other's version exclusives. I feel like that's a cheesy way to make getting the other version of the game redundant. No, I like that, because it means you don't have to have both versions, which is good, because having two versions of the game was a fucking scam to begin with. Oh no, don't get me wrong, I think overall that's a good thing. But it's but I can't help but think that as well. <laughs> oh, and you know the worst part? The part that kind of invalidates the whole thing? Mm. I don't know if this is intentional or if this is a glitch because, well, the game runs like garbage. <laughs> but we can't see each other. Wait, what? Yeah. We could not physically perceive each other. So how do you know the pro- proximity is good then? We just communicated via Reddit. Oh, that's so bad. Right? 
right? That is It's ridiculous. just kind of invalidates the whole thing. It's like, oh yeah, you can encounter people if you're in the same area. Good luck figuring out if you are, though, or if you want to go to a different area. Have fun communicating that. Because it's Nintendo that- Online, which means communication options are limited, because of course it is. That is, from a technical and modern standpoint, that is totally unacceptable. It's disgusting. And that is insane. The worst part is, I still have some fun with the game. Mm. It's not an unsalvageable game in concept. It's just frustrating because everybody's touting like it's a big step forward and it's really not. Mm. And it's so undercooked and it's so hollow. The whole world is just big and empty and in Breath of the Wild, which I'm going to keep going back to because you can tell this is what they were trying to ape and because as a Switch launch title, it's the most perfect example of everything Pokemon could be. Mm. In Breath of the Wild, civilization was wrecked a hundred years ago, (laughs) and you're just kind of walking through the pieces that people have been able to pick up in its wake. You know, there's small settlements, there's villages, but there's no big cities or anything. In Pokemon, there's like one big city, and then a bunch of small scattered towns, and nothing else. Mm. So all I can do is just go, why is this world so gosh darn unpopulated. It's baffling. It's just such... I don't want to say lazy, because I don't want to imply that the people working on this game didn't work hard, because they absolutely did. Mm -hmm. But it's baffling. It's a baffling design choice. The thing that does make me the most disappointed was when you first mentioned the lack of level scaling at the open world. Because when it was announced for this to be like kind of a free roam game, even though I'm not big into Pokemon, I know that they do tend to have a more linear path. So it's like, okay, that's cool. I am interested in this game to a certain degree. And so to hear, when you mention that portion, it's like, alright, not a surprise, but definitely really disappointing. Yeah, no, you can technically tackle the game in any order you want. You could just catch a bunch of early game Pokemon, level them up to the 80s, stomp out the first gym, the last gym, mm. rather, the, the most powerful gym, first, and then sweep the rest of them like butter. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I don't know how you sweep I was, butter. I was just say, I've never heard that phrase before. <laughs> sweep them up like dust bunnies. There we go. Okay. <laughs> but, what's the point? It's like, yeah, you can technically do the games in any order you want, but there's a clear order that you're supposed to do, because the game is based on levels. It's a hard stat check. So it's like, I understand if you don't want to put in the work to do that level scaling, or if you don't have time to do that level scaling. But then just make the game goddamn linear, because there's no point in having the freedom to do it in any order you want if there's still a clear order you're supposed to. You know? I mean, I guess the thing that bugs me the most about that is that they claimed for it to be totally free roam. And not only is that not the case... From what it sounds like, the way that they've set it up is actually kind of worse than other smaller games do. From what you've been telling me, the thing that pops into my head is like the Borderlands games. Because with Borderlands, they want you to tackle the story in a particular order, in a very specific order. But throughout each chapter, there are 20 or so odd small missions that you can do at any time as you please. And those missions are clearly there so that you do rank up so you're ready for the next bit. That, if they did that, that would be fine. And if they were straightforward about it, that would be fine. But this just sounds like worse than that. Yeah. Mm. 
Anyways, I think that's enough cynical ranting about Pokemon. I mean, I will say, even though I don't partake in um, Pokemon stuff or Nintendo stuff, and now at this point in my life I can say that's at least partially because Nintendo makes decisions that, as a consumer, piss me off, it is still kind of disappointing to hear that. Just because it is one of those things where for all that was taught about this game, it's like, okay, this is actually kind of a paradigm shift. Like, I'm not the biggest Pokemon nerd or knowledgeable about it, but from how I've observed they, like, make their games as far as how they play, it's like, this could actually have a lot of long-lasting potential and change a lot of things for Pokemon and other games down the line, only for it to be like, actually, no, that was just pillow talk. (laughs) Yeah, this was supposed to be a game changer. This is supposed to be the big step forward. And instead, Mm -hmm. it's just another little tiptoe. And them being so fast-selling, which I now am mad at myself for helping to encourage, means that there's no reason to ever stop doing it. Just churn out games that are blatantly unfinished and busted. There's a character where every time I see them in a cutscene, one lock of their hair keeps twitching uncontrollably. (laughs) The game has memory leaks... Where it runs Ooh. worse the longer you play it until you close On the it out. Switch? Jesus. <laughs> it's unacceptable. Yeah, memory leaks and stuff. I would expect that on like PC games, so not Switch. Anyway. That makes it better. <laughs> anyways, I'm done. I'm done. Okay. It's a, it's an interesting fact that it's selling so quick. Shame on all of us. That's Huh. That is fascinating. I'm pointing the finger at myself, too. Shame on me. How dare you? <laughs> Never do Fair it again. Enough. Yes, sir, you got it. <laughs> Only use Pokemon games from here on out. That's what I thought. Mm. You remember how I said I don't like to do R.I.P.s to celebrity deaths? Is there another one? There's another one. Oh, no. Albert Pyun. I am not familiar with him. Well, he's a genre filmmaker. A lot of his work I haven't seen. He's made films such as The Sword and the Sorcerer and Nemesis. But Hmm. the main reason why his death hits so hard is that he is the director of the 1989 Captain America movie. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry, because I know it's supposed to be like kind of a solemn, sweet moment. No, it's pretty but... funny. That movie that movie is not great, but I love it. <laughs> oh, God almighty. I'm so and proud for, to have it on disc. For the uninitiated, or the people who have never seen this movie, this is a movie where, I want to say twice in the movie, if I remember correctly, Captain America is like confused by something, pretends to be sick, asks for help for, from a driver who passes by, and then proceeds to literally steal their car and drive away. Yeah, after punching them. <laughs> after punching them. And both times, because um, the antagonist is Red Skull, both cars, if I remember correctly, are also German cars. Like, I know that one of them was a Volkswagen Golf, so when I, when I noticed out of the movie, it's just like, accidental symbolism? <laughs> Where did Captain America learn how to steal a car? Flashback to 1989, I guess. <laughs> Oh God Almighty, that's that that's funny. I mean, it's unfortunate that this man died, but that's that's funny. <laughs> yeah, no, the death itself is absolutely tragic. Uh, he was sixty nine mm. years old. Just a few years mm. ago, he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and dementia, which is very unfortunate. Yeah. 
Yeah, talk about a double whammy. He's worked with Jean-Claude Van Damme, Christopher Lambert, Burt Reynolds. Mm. So, yeah, absolutely sad. But I did want to share that Captain America film. Was it 1989 or was it 1990? Either way. Because that movie brought me a lot of joy. I will definitely say, because we watched it for a movie night, it is definitely one of those movies where it is... Not good in the slightest, but you. Sh- but if you haven't seen it, you definitely should. <laughs> so now, in true film buff fashion, it is time to go back and watch a bunch of his other movies and then pretend I was a huge fan of his work all along. <laughs> yeah. I, that's not exclusive to movie fans. Music fans do that as well. Yeah, so. no. I'm not actually going to do that. I am going to check out his work, though. It's just a shame oh, that absolutely. it feels like this is always the thing that's an incentive for me to check out someone's work, is them dying. Hmm. Fair. Anyways, that was that was a half downer and a weird. <laughs> I just in a weird spot. It's why I hate doing these. Right. Because this is mostly supposed to be a funny podcast, you know. Yeah. Like it's news, but it's funny news. Or like moderately disappointing. Why are people who are paid millions of dollars acting like small children? News? That's the funny part. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to one of the funniest men of them all, Weird Al Yankovic. Oh boy. Once upon a time. He wanted to do a parody of Hedwig's theme, the Harry Potter theme. Really? Yeah. Per him, he says, Whenever it was, about a decade or two ago, I approached the movie company just to get a general blessing, like, Hey, I'd like to do a Harry Potter parody. And I think they said no, or they never responded, or whatever. But sometimes when you're dealing with franchises and you ask permission, you know, there's so many people who could say no, and they usually do. And from that, he learned if doing a franchise parody, it's better to just do it and ask for forgiveness rather than permission. <laughs> I really want to so, know what he would have done with Hedwig's theme. So does that mean that there is actually something and he's just going to be like, sorry, sorry, guys, but, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Guess we'll find mm. out. Or maybe we have found out. I don't know. His body of work is huge. It is absolutely massive. Like, this man's been in music for a long time. Indeed. And in movies. Mm Mm-hmm. UHF, what a time. That was a good movie. It was. (laughs) So, Blood and Honey is happening. Oh, boy. And it's getting a sequel. The first one hasn't come out yet. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But it's getting worse. There's Neverland Nightmare, which is coming out. Oh, boy. This one I just found out about. December 9th, 2022, we are getting The Mean One, which is a horror parody of The Grinch. Hmm. (laughs) Here's the premise. Oh, boy. Per Wikipedia. In the sleepy mountain town of Newville, Cindy You-Know-Who saw her parents murdered by The Mean One, a bloodthirsty (laughs) green-skinned creature dressed in a red Santa suit. Twenty years later, as the ravenous monster begins to terrorize the town and threatens to ruin the holiday, she finds a new purpose in stopping the beast. So it's Halloween ends, but with Grinch paint. <laughs> you know what? It's <laughs> a good way to put it. <laughs> I like I'm that. Not sure, how I feel about that. I mean, I'm, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't at least a little interested in that, even though it sounds like a train wreck. <laughs> oh, it does. I can't wait. Oh, and it gets worse. How? <laughs> There's an even worse one coming. Okay. Courtesy of the same director of Blood and Honey, I believe. Oh, boy. 
Oh, wait, nope, different director. My bad. Oh, okay. Alrighty. However, the producer is the... The producer of Blood and Honey is the director on this one, I guess. Okay, 50% bad. (laughs) Are you ready for Bambi the Reckoning? No. No. (laughs) No! (laughs) What, does Bambi turn into a zombie or something? Uh, no, apparently after the death of his mother, he turns into a vicious killing machine that lurks in the wilderness. Why? (laughs) Well, first off, I didn't know that Bambi was public domain. (laughs) The book is. Okay. Oh, sweet goodness. (laughs) There's none to be found here. No, no, there is not. All the goodness is gone. He also said, prepare for Bambi on rabies. No! That's a horrible mental image. Isn't it just... God almighty. Like, some of these, obviously, like, the mean one, for example, isn't being done in response to this, but you can tell that a lot of these, what happened is, they made Blood and Honey, it got some media traction because Killer Winnie the Pooh movie isn't that weird. (laughs) Right. And now everybody's deciding, let's just make a bunch more of these, even though they've yet to see how the fucking first one is done. Yeah. Hmm outrageous i'm still gonna watch it oh probably yeah (laughs) and thus the snake eats its own tail the cycle continues and we establish ourselves (laughs) as part of the problem indeed (laughs) anyway i got one other bit of movie (laughs) sorry it was just the the, The pause oh that's that is it's Halloween, but with Grinch paint. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> nah, it's all good. Ugh. Apparently we are not getting a Namor solo movie. Was I didn't know one was even on the cards. Apparently it hasn't been, because mm. Universal Pictures still has some or maybe all the solo rights. To Namor? Yeah. Really? They've been sitting on those rights like the Hulk distribution rights. Oh, okay. Which, unfortunate. I'd watch a movie about him. Yeah. Kind of more detail about, like, his origin and all that. That would be interesting. Or even just how he goes, his day-to-day life, like, running running his country. Or, eventually, his wider integration to the surface world. Yeah, that as well. There's a lot of potential ideas there. Especially once the, Fanta- once the Fantastic Four show up. Just, like, a Looney Tunes-esque thing of Namor trying to kill Reed. <laughs> just so he can get Sue. Mm. Namor's an asshole. No shit? <laughs> I love it. Mm. Oh no, he's much more of an asshole in the comics. Oh, okay. I was going to say, it's like, yeah, I saw Wakanda forever. He's an asshole. <laughs> no, no, no. Let me put it to you this way. In the comics, at mm. one point, the multiverse is imploding, right? Worlds are dying. Universes are colliding with each other. And the Illuminati decides, we gotta be willing to blow up other worlds if it saves ours. And when they get to the moment, none of them can do it, except Namor, who's like, I'll do it, blows up the world. They're like, what the hell, man? Get out of here. So he's like, y'all are soft anyway. And he goes and rounds up a bunch of other bad guys, including, but not limited to, Thanos! Oh boy. In order to destroy these other incoming worlds to protect their Earth. And then is horrified by all these villains engaging in wanton slaughter of the world's populations, only to realize, whoops, I'm the weakest person in this room! And I have no leverage with which to stop them. He's like, guess I'll just, like, die now. <laughs> no, even worse, he goes to Doctor Doom. 
Oh, goodness. Who then proceeds to turn him down just because he's pissed Namor didn't come to him first. Yeah, that sounds about right for Dr. Doom, in all honesty. <laughs> yeah. Doom and Namor are pretty good friends off and on. Hmm. Namor's a dick. Yeah, that's 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 not good. <laughs> I would love to see him headline a thing, and hopefully eventually they'll get these rights things straightened out. Mm-hmm. But I guess we'll see you from there. <laughs> Did you have any news? I mean, there's been a couple things about the Gran Turismo movie. So amongst oh boy. The, so amongst the very strange, all-over-the-place castings that have been happening with the Gran Turismo movie... One of the most recent announcements was the inclusion of a woman named Amelia Hartford, who I don't expect you to know, or really anyone else who listens to this podcast to know, because she's more known on YouTube. She's a very well-known automotive YouTube influencer, and it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you know what? That is kind of cool. I watch her videos from time to time, so I do enjoy her. But it is one of those things where it's like, okay, so we've got, got everyone covered, including all the very, very strange casting decisions. So is this like the Jamon Ready Player Hansu. One casting for this movie? <laughs> so that's that's kind of fun. Like how in, or not Ready Player One and Free Guy, where they had Red Bull sponsored pro gamers come in and be like part of the movie. It's like, okay. And then Kazunori Yamauchi also had a little question and answer thing because the main competitive event for Gran Turismo Online happened this past weekend. And he was there, had a few interviews. And one of the things he was asked about, you know, is like his reasoning for the Gran Turismo movie. And let me just try and pull this back up real quick because I did have it saved on another tab. I mean, he gives like all kinds of reasons. One of the big ones he mentions is that this is an attempt to get people who don't like cars into the Gran Turismo video games and into cars. I would say Ford versus Ferrari does is like kind of the gold standard when it comes to the latter, but that's just me. There's all this other stuff about like, you know, the, the movies made by Sony Pictures and he's just a producer. It's money. Like. <laughs> money. Yeah, it's just money at the end of the day. So, I mean, it's. One of those things where it's obvious, but still kind of, all right, now we're just kind of talking up for the sake of it, it feels like. Yeah. So, when is this movie set to come out? That is an excellent question. At this point, I'm very curious about the movie's budget. <laughs> um, Let's see. I want to say it's supposed to come out sometime next year. August of next year. Oh, dear. Yeah, and... But the reason why I'm curious about this movie's budget is because, just to kind of reiterate some of the people we have in this movie, we have David Harbour, Orlando Bloom, Jimon Hansu, and I've probably butchered that. Uh, no, I think you're pretty close. Okay. like the well, what do I know? <laughs> I'm still mad about that social Ronan thing. <laughs> but no, those three by themselves are just kind of ones where I'm like, okay, what is going on? And also... Because this is based on, like, the story of an actual race car driver who started out by playing Gran Turismo competitively, and that led to a professional racing career. But it is still a thing of, like, why is there a story? Why is there an antagonist? Why? <laughs> like, what the hell is going on? I, I don't know. I won't lie. I'm probably going to go to the theater to see this. 
but I will still just be like, okay, but why? I'm not going to lie. This might be one where you go by yourself. <laughs> that is completely fine, and I do not blame you in the slightest. Like, If there's literally anything else that week. Yeah. The Need for Speed movie had a better reason for existing than this does. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Trailer time? Trailer time. All right. It's trailer time again. All right. What do we want to start with? Well, we got the final trailer for Avatar Entirely Too Much Water. I still kind of don't care. <laughs> yeah, me neither, but it was notable enough that I felt like putting it on the list. Yeah, it's like, I feel that, I know part of the reason I don't care is because, well, I think neither of us have seen the original movie, but nope. it's just kind of, honestly, the movie's trying to focus on the people like of Avatar and Pandora and all that, and it's like, honestly, I am so much more interested in the humans and the mechs and the beings that have joined the humans and the mechs. I am significantly more interested in the antagonist and their reasoning than anything to do with the main cast. So it's a shame that there's only bits and pieces of them showing up. Yeah. I don't expect an awful lot of development of the human antagonist in this. Oh no, god no. Too much time getting all those big sweeping 3D shots. Yeah. And that's special. Yeah. Also, I, I know this is like a relatively minor thing because I know it's part of the identity of the Avatar series and whatnot. I do not care for the music. And unfortunately, the music is kind of what takes me out of it as well. I've already forgotten what it sounded like. It doesn't take me out because it, it doesn't stand out enough for me to notice. Well, that's kind of the thing, too. It's like, I don't dislike it per se, but I guess whenever I hear it when watching the trailers, it's like that. Like that's when it's like, stopped caring. Just, like, all shits have been given. <laughs> yeah. I guess maybe we'll see, or maybe not. Hmm. I still don't know if I'm going to see this movie or not. Yeah, I mean... As far as the trailer itself, because I feel like we just talked about, like, how much we don't care, per se. I don't think it really shows us anything that we haven't really, like, seen before in the last two trailers. Yeah. Which is honestly kind of a good thing. A lot of trailers make the mistake of revealing too mu too many of their cards in just a trailer. But still, it's like it's nothing like really that different from what we've seen already. True. We got a trailer for White Noise that actually gives a better idea of what the movie's about. It does. And I am very interested in this movie, but I still cannot make total heads or tails of what's going on. Based on what was shown, it seems like there's some major environmental disaster that Adam Driver and his family are escaping from. But... The trailer changed tone so often. It's like, I don't know what to feel, but I do want to see this movie. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it feels very... Sitcom-y. You know, maybe it's just the presence of Adam Driver, but I'm almost getting the Dead Don't Die vibes. No, I, f I feel like Adam Driver, when he's talks and whatnot, it's like, okay, this is... He's got a suburban dad thing going on. Like, it's not perfect, but he's definitely got yeah, a, a suburban dad thing going right now. I mean, now. more the dead don't die what we thought the movie was gonna be vibes. Mm. Before the movie came out and was terrible. <laughs> that movie is still one of the very few examples of me actually being mad at a movie for how bad it is. Ugh. Mm. Not a fun time. No. I like his put-upon suburban dad in over his head character though. oh yeah that's a lot of fun i i loved and to a certain degree identified with the scene where their car is floating down the river and his kids are talking about just the most nonsensical things and he just goes can we please like actually pay attention to what's happening around us right now i'm like <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I'm on your side there, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll agree. Yeah, it's like you're floating down a river to your possible death and your daughter's asking about sheep and whatnot. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm into this. Same. So confused, but, in, but into this. Originally, I wasn't going to include it because uh, Netflix, but then I remember we already talked about a trailer for it and we were low mm. on trailers this week. So I figured, why not? Right. Fair. Apparently a trailer also released for Babylon, but I haven't been able to watch that yet. Oh, I, did, I had no idea. Yeah, me neither. Until just now. Mm. So I guess we'll get to that later. Right. Anyways, we got one more trailer on the docket, and that's The Devil Conspiracy. I... it looks... It, Terrible? It looks, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just filming quality-wise looks terrible. This is like some kind of HBO or whatever miniseries where it's like exclusively for theaters. Like, fuck, no. It's co- fuck no, it's coming to the theaters. That looks terrible. <laughs> just the Swedish chef from that one popcorn trip video. Yes? No. Yeah, it's... <laughs> no, and it really isn't anything to do... I mean, the, the overall premise doesn't do anything for me, but... The video quality, granted, I don't know if that's YouTube or actually what it's supposed to look like, but the video quality looked bad. <laughs> it looks like a straight-to-video mockbuster. Yeah, it really does. I was like, and you're going to give this a theatrical release? What the hell is wrong with you people? Not going to lie, though, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Yeah, eh, I guess a little bit. I guess it kind of caught me out a little bit when they said we're going to give birth to a new Jesus, a better Jesus, and it's like, uh... I don't know if they're trying to go for, like, the biblical Jesus or whatnot, but it's like, Jesus was actually a real person, guys. <laughs> I think the idea is it's supposed to be, like, a demonic Jesus clone. Oh, okay. I think. Uh, that's, that's fair. I did kind of get, it did get a chuckle out of me when the demon or whoever's, like, leading this whole, like, evil group has two mercenaries with MP5s pointing at the woman. And I'm like, yeah, it's like... You know, demons nowadays, they got it hard. People are so resistant to magic. They got to outsource their evilness with mercs with machine guns. I'm <laughs> like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, this looks insane in the bad way. Yeah, very much in so. The, I can't believe this got made. <laughs> and yet. And yet. Sl- slightly into it. Yeah. Mm. It looks like action-oriented Pray for the Devil. Fair. Completely fair. Yeah, I can see that. I could see this existing in the same bland, weirdly blue, grayscale world. (laughs) Fair enough. What a time. Mm. So now, let's get into this weekend's box office. Alrighty. Did we see the highest grossing domestic movie this weekend? I'm gonna go with no. When did Wakanda Forever come out? (laughs) Like three weeks ago, I think? Then we did three (laughs) weeks ago. (laughs) It took in $45.5 million domestically this weekend for a $367.4 million domestic total and $676 million worldwide. Okay. So that's very nice. Against that $250 million budget, they are pulling in a pretty tidy profit right now and it's only going to get larger because mm. it's still a while before the movie has any serious competition. Right. When does Avatar come out? Like three weeks? It's still got another probably like three weekends. Yeah, something along those lines. In second place, Strange World, which took in $12.1 million domestically for an $18.8 million domestic total and $28.2 million worldwide. Sounds not bad, right? $180 million budget. How? I don't know. (laughs) What the hell? Jesus. I want to know why you'd spend that much on a movie and then release it right after your big Marvel blockbuster. 
Yeah, that's... Because it's also Disney. It's the same company. Yeah, that's a doom to fail thought process. JPEG? (laughs) (laughs) No wonder they got Iger back. Jeez, man. They had to levy some serious guards against him. You could call it the Iger sanction. Yeah. Yeah, you could, honestly. But but don't. (laughs) In third place, estimated, is Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. Estimated. Well, Netflix isn't reporting the box office gross. Oh, come on. Yeah, they don't want you to know how good their movie's doing, for some reason. <laughs> but, it's believed that it took in $9.4 million domestically for a $13.2 million domestic total. Okay. Again, estimate, who knows, could be anything. Could have been $200 million. <laughs> could have been $2. <laughs> That'd be something. <laughs> I almost want to make a movie and then show it in one theater with no advertising just to say it's got a two million or two dollar just to say it's got a two dollar box office. So you want to do a Tommy Wiseau? Now the room made more money than that. Uh, fair. Well, the overall concept. I get wasn't it a whole thing of like they had to release it in the theater for some legal thing or whatever? I don't remember. I gotta rewatch the disaster artist. Hmm. In fourth place. The movie we actually saw this weekend, Devotion. Oh boy. Took in $5.9 million domestically for a $9 million domestic total. So far, no worldwide release information. Okay. And unfortunately, it's got a $90 million budget. Oh, yeah, that movie's not making a profit. (laughs) That's, unfortunately, that is not happening. $90 million, holy hell. Jonathan Major's not cheap, probably. Oh, I, fi- I mean, And neither is Glenn Powell. I think that's his name. Yeah, I mean, fair for both of those guys, but damn. I mean, I was expecting it to be like 50, in all honesty. Plus, you gotta imagine all that hardware probably costs some money. Yeah, like all like the planes and props and everything. Yeah, that probably set him back a bit. Hmm. That's a shame, but we'll get more into why that's a shame in a bit. In fifth oh, place... Yes. The Menu okay. took in $5.4 million domestically for an $18.9 million domestic total and $33.9 million worldwide against a $30 million budget. Still not hmm. making money, but... No. It might come close? Maybe, we'll see. I didn't see an awful lot of advertising for the movie, so maybe it had a comparatively smaller marketing budget? Well, maybe, we'll see. Let's hope, because it was definitely a good time. That's still... I say a week after declaring it one of my favorite movies of this year. One of my favorite movies of this year. Yes. (laughs) So, let's talk about Devotion. Indeed. I think you're more equipped as the history buff to tell us what this movie is. Alright, so Devotion is a inspired by True Events movie, and that is inspired by True Events is very much something to keep in mind with this but is inspired by True Events movie based on the book um, Devotion, an epic story of heroism, friendship, and sacrifice. It is based on the life and military service of Ensign Jesse Brown, one of, I want to say one of, if not the very first African-American naval aviators in U.S. Navy history, as well as his wingman, Lieutenant Tom Hudner, and their adventures as F4U Corsair pilots 
during the Korean War, often regarded to as America's Forgotten War, for good reason, because it really is, like, actually something that doesn't get touched upon very frequently, given our involvement. I genuinely forget that it happens sometimes. You're not alone in that, and it's, granted, like, unfortunately the Korean War is definitely one of my weaker subjects, which is frustrating of its own self, because... I mean, the Korean War, kind of like World War II, set about, like, the current world order in a lot of ways. From a technology standpoint, fighter jets and things along those lines made, like, a name for themselves during that war extremely quickly. From what I little I know of, it is a very fascinating war, which in a lot of unfortunate ways still has a lot of long-standing repercussions. But basically, it follows these two men during their career as naval aviators and their time working with one another, being with wingman, being each other's wingman, and fighting together to help the United Nations forces during the Korean conflict. In this movie, it's... So... So the first thing I do want to mention, and I mention this because I did actually look to see how other people were reacting to it, and it got a lot of very mixed reactions from an audience standpoint, from what I've read. Hmm. It was straight up like a thing of like people either like loved it, or immensely disliked it with no middle ground whatsoever. The thing about this movie is that this is not Korea War Top Gun. This is not at all like a Top Gun movie, even though there's naval aviation and fighting and wars as a part of it. This is very much more of a drama movie. It's, that's it's set... a lot less funny. Yeah, it's a lot less funny. It's a lot more serious. This is very much a drama using the Korean War as a backdrop. But boy, if I had a nickel for every movie I'd seen this year that had a couple of aviators stranded in snowy hostile territory, (laughs) I'd have two nickels. Which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. (laughs) I guess we'll, we'll kind of get into that, or I'll kind of get into that a little bit later, I guess, when we get to the spoiler section, even though... You know, if you know about the the life of Jesse Brown, then you kind of know how it goes, and it's a bit unfortunate, but hey. So, like, just honestly, this movie was very, very enjoyable to watch. So, the big thing with a lot of, like, war movies, as someone who partakes in them, is that a lot of war movies, especially war movies focusing on the American side, to a pretty significant degree, more often than not, tend to focus on the... It's kind of propaganda. You know, there's a whole story about with when Top Gun originally came out, it skyrocketed enlistment to the U.S. Navy. Yep. A lot of war movies, especially American war movies, are focused on, like, you know, America being, like, the ultimate power and stuff like that, and how powerful our military is. This is a lot more close-knit. It's not, like, while there are definitely elements of that, the focus of the movie the entire time is focused on Jonathan Majors as Jesse Brown, Glenn Powell as Tom Hudner their squad mates, their missions, everything about, like, what their lives entangle with. Jesse Brown being in the weird spot of being an African-American pilot in a service that is... I want to say at this point the United States Navy was desegregated, but it's still 1950 in the United States military, so... Yeah. <laughs> still, not, still not a great time to be a black person, especially a black pilot. Because by being a pilot, you are kind of, like, above a lot of other enlisted soldiers. Literally. Yeah, literally and figuratively. The trials and tribulations of conflict between these two men and their respective personalities, you know. Jesse Brown has often tried to, like, had to, like, kind of do things his own way, key to himself, 
while still fighting against like the people that tell him you need to do like exactly what you're told because as it's alluded to in the movie there were several times at least in terms of the movie the his real story isn't quite as terrible fortunately if he fought what he said there are chances are would have gotten killed whereas tom hudner's character is or well glenn powell as tom hudner you know is very by the books um does everything that that he feels is required of him the fact that you know his wingman is black means absolutely nothing to him for the most part for him it's just a thing of like you know we have a job to do and there's a way that we have to do it so that we get all of our guys home so there's some interesting conflict between these two very opposite ways of looking at not only the world but how their jobs as pilots like and also even though they don't get a lot of screen time the gentlemen that also make up their squadron are kind of wonderful i feel like they don't get a lot of attention especially thomas sadowski as lieutenant commander dick savoli i have probably butchered that person's name but both of their names i actually need to look up if um dick savoli was a was actually the name of the commander of their unit but everyone but he does a great job he's very by the books in a much more aggressive way there's <laughs> i don't know like is it a spoiler if i like give like one of my favorite lines that he says in the movie right now <laughs> uh i think if it's not in the advertising ah uh, fair or if it's plot relevant ah uh, fair yeah then never mind on that although i will you know what actually i will kind of get into the advertising a little bit because part of the reason why i say entered with you know this is not a top gun movie is because I saw this complaint and I actually rewatched the trailers and it is a thing of I can understand why people weren't crazy about it because the trailers do show the action scenes more often than not. Like Yeah, I know, was very surprised by how long it took them just to ship off and how much longer it took before they saw any action. Yeah, so I can kind of see why people were upset about that cuz you know, they expected it being like, you know, actually action action shooty shooty all the time based on what was presented to them. So I get that. Don't get me wrong, um, though. I actually kind of liked it more for not having nonstop a bunch yeah. of action flying scenes, but I can understand being irritated if that's what drew you in from the trailers because they did definitely emphasize that. Yeah. In a weird way, it kind of reminds me of Band of Brothers in regards to like the whole camaraderie aspect because that's one of the big things that Band of Brothers focused on was the very tightly knit camaraderie of easy company and the whole 101st airborne unit irrespective of the well both respective and irrespective of the conflict they found themselves in you know like ultimately everyone's trying to like look out for each other and make sure that they get everyone home while dealing with their own demons in the war in a general sense i'm just kind of happy that there's a major big budget movie about the korean war or more specifically an american one like apparently the korean war is a is a kind of frequent topic for movies in apparently both north and south korea but we don't really hear a lot about it here in the u.s so that was definitely a welcome change i don't really have anything else to add to that uh, without getting into spoilers yeah i i like this well enough in general dramas aren't really my thing mm -hmm. just because they kind of bum me out which is the point but yeah still but i like this one well enough it's not gonna crack my favorite movies of this year list but definitely saw it definitely glad i saw it 
which is oh, more yeah. than I can say for some. Mm-hmm. No, you don't understand. I had an idea for an end-of-year video thing, and I was going okay. back and looking at all the stuff that we've seen over the year, and oh boy, some of these things I forgot <laughs> came out this year. And <laughs> some of these I forgot came out this year, and they were like a month ago. I mean, I've only become more aware of the whole, like, you know, movies being released every week thing for this year after doing this podcast. But I definitely feel like that this year has been kind of a weak year for movies overall. Certainly hasn't been one of the better ones, but I don't know about weak. We've had some real, we've had some real good ones. Yeah, fair. Shall we get into spoilers? Sure. All right. In that case, I, I think, uh, I think the general consensus between the two of us is this is definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're in uh, war history movies. Well, historical movies revolving around a war, because this is not a war movie. Yeah, if you're into naval av- aviation at the very least, you'll have a good time. Yeah, definitely. Or if you're a Jonathan Majors fan, or if you're a Glenn Powell fan. Or, you know what, if you're a fan of Officer Jimmy. <laughs> or Joe Jonas. <laughs> or Joe Jonas. What was that? <laughs> I didn't catch that the entire time. It was just like, wait, seriously? <laughs> yeah, me neither. What a crazy uh. time. <laughs> Alright, so if you don't want to get spoiled on Devotion, uh, make sure to click away in 3, 2, 1. This was a sad movie. It is a very sad movie. There's just a lot of sad, sad moments in this movie. But and most of it's at the so. end. Mo- the, the big hitters are at the end, so... Again, if you're familiar with the story of Jesse and Tom, then you already know this, but the movie ends roughly with Jesse meeting his untimely demise, because after a fire support mission to relieve, like, heavily outnumbered United Nations forces, it's found that Jesse's plane has taken some, like, small arms fire from Chinese forces that are hiding in, like, the forest that they're flying over. And, you know, he loses oil, engine shuts out... And he's forced to crash land his plane. Well, he survives the the landing. However, the crash was very violent. And so he is actually stuck in his plane. Like, he cannot be moved. His legs are pinned down and actually cut into a little bit in, in the cockpit of his F4U Corsair. This prompts Tom Hudner, who is trying everything in his power to rescue him and get him out. He decides to crash land his plane next to him. In an attempt to rescue him. Unfortunately, this is turns out to be futile, and his squad mates have to abandon the two of them for a bit because the area is surrounded by enemy forces, and they're more or less left to their own devices for, I want to say, like a good 12 hours or so. It's not until much later that they get back to the to their boat, the other pilots get back to their boat to say, like, let people know what's going on, at which point a helicopter pilot comes over to comes to like where they crashed out to try to rescue them. It's determined that that there's no way they can really get Jesse out right now and they have to move quick because they are slowly being surrounded. At which point Tom Hunter promises to Jesse, who has passed out at this point, I'm gonna come back for you. Unfortunately, it's found out that the battle that's been taking place near the crash site has gone completely horrible for the United Nations forces in the US. The area is completely surrounded. Tom Hudner has actually been grounded due to his injuries due to his crash landing, and his squadron has been given orders to scuttle both planes. 
which means that they are actually going to fly out without Tom Hutner to destroy both planes, including the plane that Jesse is still stuck inside of so that it doesn't get captured by enemy forces. And it is just the biggest gut punch. Because it's like, at this point, these two have become, like, good friends. They clearly care about each other. And it ends on this... It shows this really sad scene with Tom Hutner just sitting... Just standing on, like, the deck of the aircraft carrier, watching his fellow pilots fly off to, you know, destroy their planes and destroy Jesse Brown. And there's absolutely nothing he can do about it. And he is just, like, told understandably very distraught for the whole thing. Yeah, you really feel that sense of distress and that sense of failure mm-hmm. and responsibility. Especially when he's interacting with Jesse's widow at the end, Daisy. Yeah, and actually, the way they frame that, at, for me, is just like kind of one of those, like, talk about thrusting a dagger into the wound type of deal. Because Tom Hudner, like, actually got the Medal of Honor, which is the highest decoration any um, soldier can get in the United States military. Like, it is it is a presidential um, citation, which is why Harry Truman was in that scene. It is the absolute highest decoration that any soldier can give. To kind of put into perspective what it takes to get it, most of the people who have gotten the Medal of Honor have gotten it posthumously because they have gotten themselves, because they got killed during the thing that got them the Medal of Honor. So... For me, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, this really sucks. Because you're getting the, the Medal of Honor for this genuinely heroic action, but you have nothing to... I feel like he's like, I have nothing to show for it because I couldn't rescue my best friend and I couldn't bring him back to his family. Even with, at the very end, where Jesse's wife, you know, consoles him and says, you know, no, I didn't ask you to rescue my husband or save my husband. I asked you to look after him and you did that till the very end. So it's just ugh, so, so sad, <laughs> so poignant. <laughs> Especially because, while it's intended as an absolving message, I feel mm-hmm. like in the wake of some of the other things that happened earlier in the movie, like putting the insubordination thing on the report, mm-hmm. I feel like you can see in his face that he doesn't, that he still doesn't really feel like he's actually lived up to that. No, yeah. It's like he's done everything he can to like just be a good wingman to this guy. And I get the feeling that he feels like he's kind of failed in that regard. Like Again, I really want to emphasize this is a drama movie. This is not like a full-on war movie. This is a drama that takes place during the Korean War. One of the other big scenes where this is emphasized was during a scene where one of their squad mates has been tasked with testing a F4U Corsair that had just gotten repairs and he's like done the test fight and is returning back to his plane and but his plane is having issues like leveling off with the carrier to get a good landing solution to get catch the catapult and not veer off the other side well as he's trying to adjust he decides to send the engine into full power and one of the things that's mentioned about the Corsair at the beginning of the movie, I'm unfortunately not familiar enough with the Corsair as a plane to see if this is actually a true issue with it or not. But the pilots are told if you put the power on too quickly, the engine will basically like conk out due to overstress and it will just like careen into the ground. And then this pilot does that and his plane just like 
drops like a rock out of the sky and lands upside down in the water. And it's shown very clearly that he's like pretty much killed instantly. When all of the pilots are in the crew ready room, Thomas Sadowski's character just looks at him and goes, it's like, everyone's going to tell you that you signed up for this and you absolutely did not. Make no mistake, you lost a friend, you lost a brother in arms, and it hurts. And it has every right to hurt. So, you know, don't feel bad for being, like, upset over this. Which is good. I was not expecting that. No, I was not expecting it. Honestly, Thomas Sadowski was was great for me. Like, I know him as Don Kiefer from the newsroom. And in the newsroom, he played kind of, like, a very cutthroat, no-nonsense, like, editor-in-chief for, like, the news agency that they work for. And I know him as the smartest character in John Wick. Yes. (laughs) I mean, for me, like, he was being, like, he was basically being Don throughout a lot of it, especially during, like, there's a scene, like, in the movie where I believe it's the Times have come to interview Jesse and take pictures of him. Because, again, this is America in the 1950s. The idea of a black pilot, especially a black naval aviator at the time, is, like, completely unheard of. And the so, Time magazine guy is trying to turn it into a whole novelty thing and trying to make it about race, which yeah. Jesse very emphatically does not, but politely, mm-hmm. does not want it to be about. And yeah. as the guy keeps asking needling questions, he says, mm-hmm. no disrespect intended, but I'm probably not going to answer the question the way, or but I'm not going to answer the question the way you want it, the way you want me to. So, and then... Sadowski steps in and just goes, okay, we're done. Yeah, and not only does he say, like, we're done, it looks like Times Guy's like, alright, guys, we've got, I've got to get my pilots ready to, like, go for the next sortie or whatever. And the interviewer from the Times is just like, oh, come on, like, we're just trying to, like, make a story here. Give us, like, a little bit more time, Lieutenant. And he goes, that's Lieutenant McCommander. Have a good day. <laughs> not having any bullshit. <laughs> so good. It was like, that was very good. So that was fun. There are two kind of overall issues I have with this movie. One is, you know, just from someone who enjoys, like, plane fights and whatever. Another is from a, like, a, a night of, like, looking up both Jesse and Tom Hutner. The movie does kind of have a general pacing issue. And a large part of that, I would say, is not necessarily the movie's fault, but more so that of the life of Jesse Brown. So, like, for instance, the there's two, like, primary battles that happen. One is a mission where U.S. Navy aircraft are tasked with destroying a couple bridges so that Chinese forces can't move into North Korea to reinforce the North Korean military. And the second one, and that the main conflict um, of the movie, is the one where they, the Navy pilots are tasked with helping the U.S. forces station not be completely overrun. The movie tries to paint it as if it's like, you know, this is still like, they're still like fresh to being pilots and this is only like one of their second or third mission. Historically, that was Jesse and Tom's 20th mission in that squadron. Wow. So it's kind of a weird thing where it's trying, the movie tries to paint a whole thing as far as, you know, still kind of reading all. I was like, no, this, this, they're like, they know what they're doing. They know how to fly. And it's just one of those things where looking through Jesse Brown's life and honestly, I feel like if you're into history at all, you 100% should. This dude is a very fascinating individual. But looking through it, it's just like there's so much that happened in his life, both before he became a naval aviator and during his time as a naval aviator. 
one of the things that's constantly brought up in his history as far as what got him to become a pilot was just his dad taking him to a random air show and just completely falling in love with airplanes. Aww. And that was the thing that made me go, I was like, all right, I, I need to do this for the rest of my life. It's just one of those things where there's only so much of that that can be fit inside of, you know, a movie that has to be within a certain time frame. And you can't give a lot of what he did justice. To a certain degree, I'm kind of glad about that because reading up on it, I figured the movie could have easily done a whole like montage of all the missions they did and everything. And I'm kind of glad they didn't. But because it gives like in those two missions that are shown, it gives both characters a little bit more growth that can actually be seen. But there's just so much that had to be cut out. The other issue I have is a lot of the inspired by true events. Now, I say this with the catalyst of I have not read Devotion. The next time I get paid, I'm going to buy this book. But I have not read Devotion, so I don't know how much of this actually happened. But from what I understand, these gentlemen did not meet Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> like, as awesome as that was to see, they did not actually meet Elizabeth Taylor. I got a funny bit of casting news about that, but I'll save it. Okay, they did not fight a MiG-15, or if they did, as far as I can tell, there is no record of Tom Hutner shooting down a MiG-15. So I'm going to guess that part is a, uh, right, Top Gun's popular. Yeah, just a little bit. And actually, that scene bugged me the hell, because to kind of, like, nerd out for a second, fighter jets at this point in, like, world history, first-generation fighter jets, really aren't too far removed from World War II aircraft. The big difference is that they're powered by jet engines instead of propeller um, or prop engines, which, you know, just changes the ball game instantly. But as far as, like, weaponry and all that, they are not that far removed. In the case of the MiG-15, this is a plane that literally only has guns. As far as I'm aware, it was never designed to be, to be used as, like, a bomb or anything. And it holds a very small amount of ammunition for its guns. So during this whole extended fight, which goes on for like three, four minutes, I want to say, this MiG is just constantly missing shots against completely inferior aircraft. And the whole time I'm thinking, it's like, okay, I'm sorry, but you sh- both of you should be dead, or this pilot should have run out of ammo. How like could you miss? Ago. He was three feet in front of you. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, because it's like... I don't, it was a thing of like, no, you have a jet, the big drawback about having jet-powered aircraft at this point was that their acceleration and their ability to slow down was very poor, but it's like, no, you still have a speed advantage over these guys, you should be able to, you should be able to just like, get on their butt cheeks, and just shoot them down. Right up the butt, get in right up there. Yeah, just put like 30 millimeter rounds just right up that hole right there. Um... (laughs) No, it was actually kind of one of those things where it was like, as I'm watching, it's like, this, it, that was actually something that really bugged me. I try not to make a big deal about stuff like that in military movies because ultimately the goal is to entertain, you know, a general audience. Good Lord knows that Top Gun, both the original and Maverick, have so many moments like that. Yeah. But it was just something that I noticed. Um, so, but yeah, there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on from what i read about jesse brown where there were definitely absolutely some instances of him having to deal with like you know being a black dude in the military and a pretty talented pilot and all the issues that came with that the movie does paint him as being a very like constantly insubordinate fighty person and from what i've read about him online that really wasn't the case more often than not yeah he would kind of like 
get a little fighty with like superiors that did gave him a hard time because he was black but otherwise he did everything that he was supposed to by the book there weren't really any times when he went out of like his orders or anything like that he kind of did everything by the book large part because i think he even he recognized that i kind of have to yeah because <laughs> they are looking for any excuse possible to throw me under the bus or under the aircraft carrier <laughs> sorry rent mooring <laughs> yeah just a little bit so it's one of those things where there's a lot of moments like that which you know if you're someone who's familiar with like military history and stuff like that it will like i'm not gonna lie it'll bug the hell out of you if you're familiar with stuff like that mm. I would say that while it is noticeable and a little jarring at times, it doesn't take away from the overall effect of the movie. Even though there's only like two or three like actual battle sequences, I don't think they're particularly like they're done like particularly poorly or anything like that. The things that happen with the combat scenes that are stupid, none of it is at the level of Red Tails. And I say that as someone who actually oh, really likes seen Red that Tails. In a minute. Oh, I like Red Tails, but it's fucking stupid. <laughs> the first time I watched it on my own, and by the way, the movie, as far as I'm aware, is actually like available for free on, on YouTube. Huh. But there's a scene very late in the movie where Lightning, and that is actually the character's call sign, Lightning has like kind of veered away from his squadron. So he's already AWOL, and he's just like flying his P-51 Mustang over the Mediterranean. And he just comes across a random German battleship and does two strafing runs with nothing but 50 caliber machine guns and single-handedly destroys a German battleship. Nah. And that was kind of a bit where I actually had to pause the movie and be like, okay. <laughs> nah. It's like, no. Like, I am, I'm, no, that's, that's not happening. I'm sorry. As much as I love that movie, there's nothing that's like as egregious in Devotion. And that's good because even with all like the combat scenes and whatnot, I feel like it's one of those things where the combat scenes just, they add to the overall experience. They are not the overall experience. You go to Top Gun to see, with all the stuff that's like going on in the plot and everything, ultimately you're there to see fighter jet porn and fighter jet fights. Like that's the whole point of the movies. With this, they do a good job, I think, like balancing it out and making it so that the fights and the combat don't completely overtake everything else that's going on. Danger like, zone! <laughs> I feel like you're given solid reasons to at least empathize with these guys. Maybe even root for them. I don't know. That's kind of the main things that popped up with the movie. I, I feel like if there was ever going to be something else covered about Jesse Brown, it would definitely be wonderful if it was like a miniseries. I would love to have Jonathan Majors and Glenn Powell like keep their respective roles, but have a Band of Brothers or the Pacific-esque miniseries about their squadron and everything that they did before, during, and after the Korean War. Like, I think that would be really cool. Yeah, I don't know who'd host it, because that would be expensive. Mm. Uh, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> but I mean, hey, you know what? There's a market for anything, so... Yeah. I could see it. And honestly, really, just please, more big-budget Korean War movies. The Korean War was a very complicated conflict, and like I said before, it's one that we feel the reper repercussions of to this day to certain degrees. Like, the Korean War, for all intents and purposes, is still ongoing. It has been going on 
for the past 50 years. A formal peace treaty has never been signed since right. 1952. That is still a thing. That's not done. <laughs> but yeah, even with that, I still maintain what I said over before, which is this this movie's good. It's fun. It's definitely a bit of a gut punch. And I am very glad that I, that I saw it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to wrap up my my thoughts with a new section I like to call Six Degrees of Separation from Something Stupid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so in this movie, they spent some time hanging around with Elizabeth Taylor, the actress. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth Taylor in this movie is played by actress Sorinda Swan. Mm-hmm. For those not in the know, she was Aphrodite in Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief. She mm-hmm. was Zatanna in Smallville. Okay. And more relevant to something we've seen, both of us, she was Queen Medusa in The Inhumans. <laughs> so have fun with that. Oh, no, why did you do that to me? <laughs> because I've Not been cursed my- with this knowledge and now so are you! I'm imagining Elizabeth Taylor just walking up to a random ATM and is like, Hi, I am the queen of the Inhumans. I require money. <laughs> <laughs> what a stupid fucking show. Oh my god. Ugh. I think that wraps this up. That wraps it up. You should see Devotion. It's a good time. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can keep the six degrees of separation from something stupid. Maybe shorten it down. But... Please do, even though I will probably be miserable depending on what happens. <laughs> yeah. Next week, we already know what we're seeing. Mm. It's Violent Night. It is Violent Night. Starring a David night. Harbour. Yes. I think we've we've seen, like, a couple, like, two or three, like, sad movies recently. Something stupid and action-y and fucking stupid is needed. <laughs> it 100% is. Mm. Oh, God, this is directed by the guy who directed Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, man. Mm. I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to it, too. It's going to be a good time. In any case, thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, follow us on Spotify or Facebook or wherever. RSS. Doesn't matter. One of them. Mm-hmm. I, I finally made a TikTok. I haven't put anything on it, but I might eventually. Oh, boy. And I'll let you know when I do. Alrighty. <laughs> In the meantime, this has been Under the Bridge with Cody, aka the Scarlet Troll. And with Greg, aka Greg. And we bid you bye bye. I do. <laughs> okay. <laughs>